Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. You're listening to The Gold Digger Podcast, episode number 305. It might not be Shark Week, but we've got a shark on the show, and I am so excited about it. Barbara Corcoran got straight D's in school, worked 20 jobs by the time she was 23, and then got $1,000 while working as a diner waitress to launch a real estate business. I'll let her tell the full story, but you might already know the headline here today. It's a billion-dollar business. That's billion with a B. You don't reach that level of success without a keen eye for a good investment, stellar selling strategies, or fearless negotiation, right? And I'm going to ask her about all of that. I cannot wait to put Barbara in the hot seat in this episode and treat it like a masterclass in pitching and selling and negotiating. And this isn't just for budding real estate moguls either. We'll get into the fundamentals of her selling strategy so it can be applied no matter what your business looks like, product or service, online or in person, we've got you covered. This is such a good episode. Let's go. You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, where we firmly believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. Self-made millionaire and marketing guru, Jenna Kutcher, will help you redefine what success looks like. It's time to hear from the experts, listen in on honest conversations, and learn the best tips and tricks that helped others pave their own way and craft their dream career. If you're ready to dig in, do the work, and tackle your biggest goals, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, photographer, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Gold Digger. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for you, my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free at Skillshare.com slash Gold Digger and the number two. Thanks to Everly Well for supporting Gold Digger. Everly Well is a health and wellness company that provides at-home lab testing kits and digital results within just days. Get 15% off an Everly Well at-home lab test by going to everlywell.com slash gold digger and enter the promo code gold digger. Okay, Barbara, I get to speak to so many women, but I am truly fangirling with the most respect for you. I am so thankful you're here today. Oh, pleasure, Jenna. I was happy to hear your name. (laughs) Oh, so walk me through. I mean, I know bits and pieces of your story, but where did it all begin for you? Tell us that story of the thousand dollars that changed everything. Yeah. Well, if you don't believe in lucky breaks, you're crazy because breaks have a lot to do with success. Although the the most lucky people in the world will say it's all hard work. I say it's lucky breaks combined with hard work. And my first big lucky break, other than the fact I had two parents who loved me, uh, which was the best lucky break of all, that builds confidence, um, was my diner waitress job, which was my 22nd job. Because I'd worked all since I was 11 at something or another, you know. But I was waitressing and a guy came and sat at my counter. And uh, I recognized him not as a lucky break, but as a drop-dead gorgeous guy that I took one look at him. I knew I'd lose my virginity within the month. And I wasn't saving it. I just just knew it hit. This is it, baby. (laughs) But anyway, he became my boyfriend. A year later, he suggested a smart girl like me that would be great in real estate sales. Why don't you start a brokerage firm? 
I didn't know what it was, but he had the confidence. So I wrote on that confidence and he gave me a thousand dollars. Thank God. Where would I have gotten a thousand dollars? That's a lot of tips, right? Yeah. To save up, which I didn't save a dime for sure. I still don't <laughs> save a dime, but um, yeah, that was my first big lucky break. That was the beginning of my first brokerage firm, which we ran for seven years. My next lucky break came in the form of my secretary who he ran off and married after seven years uh, oh. because that caused me to end the partnership. I couldn't even walk. I was so devastated. She was five years younger than me. Is she as pretty as me? The answer was she's prettier than me, you know. Yeah. Uh, so he traded me in for a younger model. And then uh, I lived with that for about a year. Uh, it just like, just so diminished my self-confidence, the little I had. But finally, I, I walked in and ended the partnership one Friday morning. And that was my second lucky break. At the time, it seemed like uh, that happening was the worst thing to happen in my life. I didn't know how I'd recover. He found me. He took me out of the diner. He had confidence. He was a man of the world. He gave me the thousand dollars. He identified a good career for me. And then what was I going to be without him? Nothing is what my conclusion was falsely. But then I found when I started all over again, with half the salespeople, seven out of 14, and he started with seven out of 14 all over again, he and his new wife. Um, I found that it was amazing when your back is against the wall, how you find out where your real strengths are. And the real strengths I realized not until then were inside myself. And that's what I built on for the rest of my life. And I would say no other, I've had many lucky breaks along the way of building my career. It could have gone left, but it went right, thank God. But I've also had as many that went left that I was bent and determined to hang around the left until I found out what the right was, you know? <laughs> so uh, that helped me tremendously. But it's been a series of happenstance and hard work, of course. But it's also, I've had, you know, it's, it's kind of worked out well. I'm thankful. Uh, Very thankful. I'd say <laughs> walk me through just the difference of your business today from the real estate business to what you do today. Walk me through some of those seasons that you've been through as a female entrepreneur. Well, it's like it's so different. If I knew when I went into the TV business that I was going to be the talent and the breadwinner, I would have never <laughs> gone in. Because what my real gift is, is building a huge business through people. When I sold my yeah. brokerage firm 20 years, the second firm 20 years after I started it, I just knew the reason it had been successful were just two specific things I did well. And that's all really you need. You only need actually one good thing you do well to build around. Mm -hmm. But the two good things I did to build around was I was great at identifying talent and I was great at marketing. And if you could get good people and you know how to really throw the bullshit out there, which is what marketing is, good marketing, so people listen, you can build a really huge business. Now, that was when I built a brokerage firm because all those people were out every day making money for me. I didn't look at it that way. They were my kids that I was so proud of that I bragged about and that allowed me to do good marketing because I meant it, you know. But once I went into the TV business, the little detail I forgot about was I'm like the salesman going out. I'm much yeah. better on the other end, you know, <laughs> choosing them and telling them to go out. So today I work probably five times harder than I ever planned on working, honestly. Yeah. Uh, not thank God I enjoy it or I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd be a drinking lady at, late <laughs> at night, you know, but it's very, very different because I'm not working. Th I'm working through the talent of my staff, which numbers five today, as opposed to a 1, thousand, 1100 people I had back then. Vastly different. But I'm the one going out, bringing the money in, you see. And so that's vastly different. And I'm a performer today. Uh, in the old days, I was a manager and a talent scout, you know, and very, very different skill set. Yeah, really crazy, crazily different, but never, never boring. The one parallel between my old business and this business is the best days of an entrepreneur's life. I've never met an exception to this are the early days. You know, when you don't yeah. know if you're going to make it, your back's against the wall, you have no cash flow, uh, how are you going to pay, uh, you know, rob Peter to pay Paul, that kind of thing. But yeah. I get to relive that with 70 some of our businesses through Shark Tank. I've been on that show 10 years. I'm working with these kids every day. Some of them are not even kids anymore. They're approaching middle age. But going through those <laughs> early years, like Groundhog Day, the best years again, again, and again, and again, and again. So I have front row seats on so many different businesses and so many personalities. And that is so eternally interesting at every turn. Oh, can we go back to something? Did you say you only have a team of five I have five people, but you have to meet my Mighty Mouse team. Uh, Each one is worth three people. 
They're smart. They have great attitude. Yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah. We're looking for someone now, by the way, if you have someone in New York, like a gal Friday who's willing to do everything, just run for us. But they will learn everything about my business within six months. And everybody gets promoted here. We keep moving people up. So if you know anybody, if you want to come and work for me, you know, Jenna, I would really like that. You could teach me a lot about social media. It's so tempting, Barbara. Come on, come on. You can run my podcast. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) I think what's so inspiring about that is so many women that are listening to the show right now are solopreneurs. You know, they're wearing Mm. all the hats and they're doing all the things. And I think at every point in someone's career, you've done that, you know, like you can do all the things. But what I think is so incredible about knowing that you have five people, because I have a team of five as well, Mm -hmm. um, is that it's possible. And when, when you use your gift, which is your gift to get people in the right positions. Mm. Wow. That's so inspiring to me. You know, I think the hardest person for every entrepreneur to hire, and I know this from working with so many entrepreneurs, is their very first hire. Yes. And for women, for whatever reason, I haven't cracked this code at all, but for women, the first hire is twice as hard. It's kind of falls into the same category of why moms at home feel guilty if they have a nanny. You know, you could have more money than God. You could have a a powerful job that takes 15 hours a day, but still a mom who has a nanny feels guilty about the nanny. Go go explain. I don't get it. I was one of them myself with my two kids. But the thing here is, is you've got to hire your first person. Once you lose your virginity on hiring your first person, getting them to do the stuff you're not good at, that's the right hire. Whatever you can't do well or hate to do, that's who you hire, you know, and you don't even need money to hire people. I mean, I've got many of my entrepreneurs who didn't have a pot to pee in to hire their first person by bartering. They do something good. They could do it for somebody else and they do that for them. Free accounting, free marketing, free social media, artwork. I've, I've gotten barters deals across everyone I just by suggesting it. But hiring that first person, I still can't figure out why for every entrepreneur, it's the hardest thing for them to think they can afford and that they have the right to do, but hire it and lose your virginity there and see somebody else explode your business in one way or in another. Whoa, you've like tasted the juice and you keep going after that. Yes. You know what I think it is? I've been thinking about this topic so much lately Mm. is that we value our money more than we value our time because Mm. so many women don't understand the value of their time. Like they've never actually ran the numbers to say an Mm. hour of my time could be worth or is worth. And sometimes the answer is priceless, right? Like an hour of time with my child is priceless, but an Mm. hour of time where I'm working could be worth X amount. So why would I not pay somebody 10% of that to do all the things I don't want to do? That's what I think it is, but I could Well, you know what I think stands in the way there though, in that scenario, which is exactly spot on, is a woman in that position hasn't really proven that her hour is worth that much money because she hasn't brought the money in yet. So there's a lack of confidence to take that leap of faith. But you almost have to take the leap of faith to see what your time is worth, to see it work. You know, it's like S backwards in a way, but you you have to just take that leap, jump off the cliff and see. You could always change it one week later, but I've never seen anyone change it a week later. Once they taste what it does, you know? Oh, 100%. Okay, so you have seen a lot of powerful women in business. I mean, you are one of the most powerhouse women in business I know. And like I said, my audience is 97% female. And I know that as women, we have some obstacles to overcome. Mm -hmm. And so I want to know, instead of saying what makes being a woman harder in business, I think we should talk about the benefits we have Mm -hmm. in an age where women are more empowered. I don't want to play the victim anymore. Mm -hmm. What about being a woman in business these days. And when days. you're saying in business, you're talking about corporate America? Then, no, you know, just business entrepreneurship. Oh. Well, A, what rocks about women in business for themselves is simply better than men. Now, I know you're not supposed to say that, but I really believe <laughs> that. And I say that with the vantage point of working with so many men and women in their businesses every day, okay? I think women have a different skill set than men. And I know you're not supposed to stereotype either. And it's not always true, okay? But I would say almost always true. In fact, if I was more confident, I'd say always true, okay? Yes. But they have a whole list of things that men don't have. I think that women to start off with in a male-dominated field of business, which is almost every field, including entrepreneurship, okay, happily changing so radically, I think they have a point of difference. The power of being an outsider and having a point of difference is it's eye-catching, you know, you're different. You don't have to work so hard at being different. You're already different. You're the girl in the room. You know, 
I have learned that you can run that up the flagpole, grab it, hug it, and make it your own to your own advantage. Whereas a lot of women, I think, think that they have to fit in. I've never really believed that. When I walked into my business starting my firm, the business in New York City was not run. It was fueled by 80% female. However, it was owned by 100% men. There's a big mm-hmm. difference. So am I going to stand apart from the women working in the field? Not at all. Just be another chick, right? In New York City, mm-hmm. trying to be cool. But when I got into the category of ownership of a business, I was the only girl. So what did I do? At first, I made the mistake thinking, okay, they're all wearing Navy suits, gray suits. I was like the poster girl for looking like a guy, right? The flatter <laughs> my chest, the better I looked, I thought, until I realized walking into a room, nobody even noticed me. And then I started wearing my red suits, which I never stopped wearing for the rest of my life. I had great legs. I made sure my suits were above my knee, whether it was fashion or not. I don't know what people call me behind my back, but they they were well-cut, beautiful red suits. I yeah. walked into the room. They didn't have to know my name. It's just the girl. But in a meaningful way, when it comes down to really building a business, you need the real goods that run a lot deeper than the physicality of yourself. And the real goods you need is you need to be able to work with people. Because unless you want to stay as one of those solo entrepreneurs, and truthfully, I can't even imagine why someone would, would ever aspire to do that because you get stuck doing the stuff you don't want to do also, you know. But unless that's your desire, women are smarter than men in business because they're better with people is the main point I want to say. And how are they better than people? There's less ego involved. Their own less security is an advantage in business because you have better empathy when you're less secure. I really believe that. Give me a cocky ass guy who's going to tell you what to do and he knows better and he believes it. You can't fault the guy. It's dangerous. Give me a woman who lacks a little confidence and is going to listen in and lean harder to see what you think or what you have to say. That's something that's not going to ruin your business. Yeah, you can't listen too much, okay? I had the huge advantage of being one of the girls hiring girls. Do you know what an advantage that is? They identify with me. They're willing to follow me off a cliff if I said that's the right thing to do. No other guys in my field were able to do that because I was a woman and I knew how to capitalize on that. And women build better teams. I've seen it day in and day out of my life. For me to suggest to a guy that he lean on his teammates and give every man equal power, every woman equal power, bring out the best in this gal, promote this person, it's a hard sales argument I have. For me to talk with women about encompassing and holding hands and building a team and making each member feel important, it's like breathing. It's natural to them. So I will take any day of the week the choice to hire a woman over a man. I know that's not socially acceptable either. But if it's <laughs> an even if it's an even competition, I'll hire the yeah. woman because I know instinctively she's got better instincts. She's yes. going to build a better team naturally, and she's going to be a little bit more insecure, which I like. Because insecure people have their ears open, their eyes open. They're willing to learn. They're willing to improve. They're willing to try harder. And that brings me not to the last point, but one I forgot, which is women work harder than men. I am sorry. Not always true, but 99% of the time, even though we have equality at home, supposedly we're moving in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I actually do a time chart on what a young man, a young woman does raising a family compared if they're both working, let me tell you, the woman's outpacing the man two hours to one every time. Okay. I think I better shut up. I feel like I'm in a tirade or something. I feel like (laughs) a a banshee woman screaming on a mountain. No, this is girl power. And I just, I think it's a beautiful time to be raising a daughter and I think it's a beautiful time to just be a woman in business and it was funny I was messaging one of my guy friends who's an incredibly successful entrepreneur and I told him I said I was just at a mastermind it was 10 men I was the only female and I said one of my biggest takeaways is that my intuition is so strong and when I lean into that I show up in a better way I'm more content I'm more confident and I said you know you can give everyone the book smarts and and the head argument but that heart and that intuition it does so it was i agree a hundred percent give me a guy that graduated from a harvard business school in my business i know i'm losing money yeah yes it's that confidence it's that yes I love it. Okay, so one of our top episodes on this show was all about pitching yourself. And I know, I know you get to hear so many pitches. So I'm just curious, when people are pitching to you, is there any sort of like good investment criteria or a checklist that you're saying, oh, they're checking all the boxes? Or is it more case by case for you? Well, I judge it like a female would. Okay, if you're hiring someone, 
for example, it's a good parallel. You have a resume in front of you. They have a certain background. You're seeing if they have the skill set. That's all analytical. I mean, it's founded because you want to hire the right person for the right spot, okay? But if instead, rather than letting the resume lead, which I don't, I don't look at it until after I interview someone, really, because it just is like a confirmation of what they put on the resume is what the conversation sounds like. But if you're just listening to the person and zoning in on them and trying to get a feel for who they are, you wind up with a much better interview and a sizing up of the individual, okay? And that's what I do on Shark Tank. Just like a female, I'm totally trying to find my zone where I'm really listening and not judging. Okay. I'm trying not to judge the business in this regard. If it makes common sense, I'll give the person the benefit of the doubt that it'll probably work. Okay. It'll probably work, which isn't always true, of course. So I'm a sucker like that. But (laughs) I always think, you know, if I just ask a simple question on the business, how could it make money? That's basic. You know, you don't want a hobby. You don't want to invest in somebody's hobby. You want to invest in someone's business. And then the second thing is I ask myself, does it make common sense? Is it plausible that somebody would pay for this? That's it. If that's a pretty simple test, 99% of the businesses we hear on Shark Tank pass that test. So they wouldn't be on Shark Tank. There's been vetting done for us already, right? They wouldn't have a jerk there. That makes no sense, right? Okay. So let's assume every single person that's on Shark Tank, I believe the business is plausible because that's pretty much how I look. What's left to look at? I pay attention to the entrepreneur because I've been on Shark Tank. This is my 11th season. And I have learned that when I have a great entrepreneur, I make money. When I don't have a great entrepreneur, I lose my money. It's as black and white as that. So I don't give a crap about the business. What do I know about shoe leather of this business? I don't know. (laughs) I don't care. I know that that entrepreneur probably knows it or will learn it. I just want to know what that entrepreneur is made of. And what am I trying to size up in the entrepreneur? Just a couple of very narrow parameters. Number one, I'm looking for hardship in their background. And, you know, a lot of the time the backstory will tell that. I try to do my intuitive barometers to how much of that is showmanship and how much is that of truth because it's a TV yeah. business, you know? Yes. So I'm tuning in, like, were they really hurt? How did they come back? Yeah. How important is that to them? What are they proving here? All my most successful entrepreneurs are injured individuals with average IQs versus really smart kids with a privileged background. So that's a parameter I use now. If somebody's a rich kid pitching me on the show, I generally, unfortunately, I'm listening, or at least I can act like I'm listening, but I'm already tuning out. I'm already mm-hmm. out. I'm just thinking of a good, another new reason to go out. Yeah. Yes. yeah, but it's about the individual. The, what I'm really trying to figure out And we have an hour and a half, remember, on Shark Tank to question them. You're seeing that person six minutes at home. We're within an hour and a half. So most of what we ask is edited out. They're just looking for the good TV parts, right? That's their job as, as editors and directors there. But what I'm looking for is I'm looking for the guy that could go through the wall. Because even if they're discovered on Shark Tank night and they had 20,000 sales one day after Shark Tank night, they have a million dollars in sales. Those people, no matter who they are, think they have a hit on their hands. But I know better. They have a one day wonder on their hands. And six months later, the is going to hit the fan and how are they going to get through it? That's what I'm listening for. How does that person work through a wall when everything's down? Because you know why? Those are the people that I make all the money with. Those are the people, more important than making the money, honestly, is that I spend the time with thinking I can make a difference. Nothing's worse than pushing, helping someone when they don't have the goods to really succeed. I feel like a jerk. I mean, I'm not that nice. You know, I don't want to spend hours with people when I don't think they really can succeed. I want to say one thing that is the big truth teller that happens after Shark Tank. About three months after Shark Tank, the deal is either closed or not closed. If it's not closed, it's because, oh, the brother-in-law owned the patent or things go awry, okay? Um, Sometimes somebody, you know, you can't make money. There's no room in the deal for an investor, okay? Sometimes that's how it, or the person really doesn't need help. They realize it, you realize it after the show's over. But assuming the person is your new partner, I wait for the first meeting, either on Skype or in person, when we're looking at the business plan and I'm weighing in on what I think is good, what I think is bad, where we should put our resources, what we should do. And everybody thinks that I'm doing that for the reason of really helping. And that's true. I really want to help. But you know why I'm really doing my secret reason, my agenda is I watch and see what the entrepreneur does. Every entrepreneur that takes out a big pad and starts writing down all my ideas and comments, I know I'm going to lose my money. 
because I have learned that the entrepreneurs that listen to me don't write anything down, do exactly as they please, are always the winners. Entrepreneurs don't listen to people. That's what I have found. So yeah. the minute someone's really, oh, yeah, really, what did you, could you say that again? Do you think about the eager beavers? I'm like, oh, sh- my money's going down. <laughs> you know? But if they're there going, oh, very nice. They're giving me the lip service. Oh, sure. Nice, Mrs. Corcoran or Miss Corcoran <laughs> or Barbara Ann or whatever they call me. I like, no, uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm losing my shirt. And I can't stop the money from going out the door. It's already been committed. Those are the two steps I do. Going through the wall. I'm looking for an average IQ, not somebody too smarty pants. And you know why, by the way, you need somebody with an average IQ? Because you need somebody stupid enough that when they get smart, smash on their head, they get back up and say, hit me again. That's not a smart person. A smart person lays low and feels sorry for themselves and goes undercover for a while. That's intelligence. But I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for the guy dumb enough or the gal dumb enough to pop up, hit me again, I'll take it. I love that note about the person taking notes. I sometimes see that a lot when you speak on stages and you see the people writing down every single step and every single word. And it's like they believe that there is a blueprint to duplicate. And I just don't, I don't agree. I think the true formula is learning to decipher what serves you and letting the rest of it go. You know, you might walk away with one good nugget of wisdom that you can implement and get moving versus trying to do, you know, Mm -hmm. one nugget. You're right. One little nugget. That's all we Mm -hmm. need. We'll get back to this conversation in just a minute, but I first have to thank Everlywell for supporting this episode. Think of all the things you can do without leaving your house now. You can order from your favorite restaurant, take an online class in every subject imaginable. You can do your grocery shopping without wearing pants. Now Everlywell is making one thing more accessible from home. Actually, 35 things. Everly Well provides 35 at-home lab tests for things like metabolism, vitamin D, food sensitivity, heart health, and more. All test kits have easy-to-follow instructions. After collecting your sample from home at your own schedule, you send the sample back and it's processed in a certified lab. A board-certified physician reviews your results and then they are sent directly to you digitally within just days. You can even share them with your healthcare provider. Everly Well's digital platform helps break down what your results mean for you and how they might affect your health, as well as actionable insights into how to improve or maintain your levels. You can also set up a free discussion with a healthcare professional through their platform. If you want to be more proactive and aware of your own health, check out Everly Well's at-home test today. Get 15% off at Everly Well's at-home lab test by going to everlywell.com slash golddigger and entering the promo code golddigger. That's everlywell.com slash golddigger with promo code golddigger for 15% off your test. Thank you to Skillshare for supporting this episode of Gold Digger. Look at the calendar. We are so close to the end of the year. And when 2019 is over, it's also the start of a new decade. Like, it kind of blows my mind when I think about it. It's got me thinking about what I can accomplish in these last few months and what I can learn to make next year even bigger and better. Lifelong learning is such a high priority for me, and my goal is to take at least one more class on Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography and creative writing to design, productivity, and more. So whether you're returning for a long-time passion project, challenging yourself to get outside of your comfort zone, or simply exploring something new, Skillshare has classes for you. Kind of in awe of the knowledge that's shared on Skillshare. I credit the class I took in doodling for iPads for the hand-lettered elements of my brand. Still deciding what the next course for me will be. Maybe something productivity related. Maybe I'll dive into mind mapping mastery course or take a class in organizational tools like Airtable. It's all on Skillshare. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer. Get two months of Skillshare for free. Skillshare is offering Gold Digger listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, head to Skillshare.com slash Gold Digger and the number two. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Gold Digger two to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash Gold Digger two. 
So one of the things that I've really encountered this year specifically and just kind of dug into is that women have this fear of selling. It's like we're apologetic about it. It's like we can shout from the rooftops about the new pair of leather pants that we got that fit like a dream. But when it comes to selling our own products or services or offers, we kind of just whisper. Do you have Mm -hmm. any tips for how women as a whole can get better at selling? Yeah, because I had to get better at selling. You know, I was raised by a Catholic mother and she taught myself and my my nine siblings, the meek shall inherit the earth. That was a Catholic belief. You know, she followed the Pope one child every year and a half using the rhythm method. Perfect Catholic. Okay. (laughs) It was a phenomenal mother. Thank God. But that was my very nature to be a nice girl. And to be meek, I mean, that's how we were raised, you know, just be a nice girl, okay? I found when I moved to New York at 23, when Ramon Simone, you know, convinced me I'd be good in real estate, I found I had to rewire my very essence, which was not easy because it felt like I was being a bad girl just by even speaking up. I felt like it was rude. Speaking up was rude, you know? You just keep your place, basically, and be polite, you know? So I had to rewire myself uh, wire by wire by wire by wire. And now I don't even think the Pope would acknowledge me as a Catholic. And none not to knock any Catholics, but I'm saying <laughs> I'm not humble. <laughs> I brag. <laughs> I speak up. I even take credit for shit I don't really do, just if I think the audience will fall for it. You know, I just put it on out there. Okay. No shame. And I'm going straight to hell, no doubt, because my mother's in heaven and she's even suggesting I go to hell. I'm sure watching what's going on down here. <laughs> but here's the thing. A couple of things I could say on women selling. Okay. I think women wrongfully see the sales pitch as asking for something and it's not. If you just got a new outfit for, let's say uh, that trivializes women. What could I say? You just got a new car. It's an electric car. And because men could buy it, women could buy it, right? And you might say to your friends and neighbors, I can't believe it. It is so quiet. You know, I don't even hear it. Sometimes I don't even know if the motor's on. It's a phenomenal car. You know, I thought it was great value. I saved so many dollars in gasoline. You could trip, 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 trip that right off your tongue and mean it with wild ass enthusiasm because you're in love with that car. You don't think you're asking anybody for something, but you're selling that car. I say that's sales at its best. From the heart, what you believe, put it on the table. It's not your job to make somebody buy it. It's your job to present it. Okay. And to believe it. And I think women who think selling is like pushing something on someone, the root of that is often that they don't really believe that what they're pushing on, they should be. And that means you should be selling that in my book. You're never going to be successful in sales if you're pushing something you don't believe in. And it catches up with you because sales is a referral business. And people refer not because they got pushed on. People refer because they totally trust who sold them something. They fell in love with them for the service, the sincerity. And that comes very naturally to women. And women are more easily trusted than men by nature. A woman comes in, I immediately have a reaction if she's a salesman or a rep for someone that she's probably not going to give me a lot of shit. A guy walks in, I assume I'm going to get a certain degree of bravado there in the pitch, yeah. right? So women have an advantage of being trusted walking in the door. But I think the thought that you're asking for something is what holds women back. If you could just let the enthusiasm for how you feel about something terrific and broadcast that and listen to what the reaction of the other person is, you find the formula for closing a deal. And even closing a deal sounds aggressive. It's like a hunter mentality, close a deal. No, closing a deal is just being around long enough with the client or the customer until they get comfortable with saying, I do. And then you're taking the order. I don't think it's an aggressive act selling as itself is. But what is aggressive about the act is you must be persistent. A salesman without persistence is not a salesman. It's a natural trait of any great salesman. But pushiness is not. At the Corgan Group over the years, if I were to look at my top five salespeople, every one of them that were making seven, eight million dollars a year, my average salesman was making 48,500 was my average income, okay, of everybody. But when I looked at those salespeople, their sales pitches were nothing like one another. But the one thing you didn't find in any one of them was aggressiveness. They wouldn't have been the top in their field. They just loved what they do and it oozed out of their paws and they were willing to share it. And they naturally closed because they worked so hard and gave such great service that people constantly referred to them, constantly referred to them. That's what sales is. And I think 
all of that is more than anything else a misinterpretation or selling the wrong product. Both of those, I think, get in the way, particularly with women, because women are more genuine. They're not going to bullshit somebody if they don't really feel it most of the time. That's beautiful. That's beautiful advice. Thank you for that. I think we need to hear that sometimes. So I have a selfish question for you. And I I was just so excited to have you on the show to ask it. But my dream is to be able to invest in women-led and marginalized-led companies. Mm. And it's just, I just have no idea where to begin. Like, what is your advice? Because it's a whole new ballgame. Well, most cities, again, Jenna, where did you say what's your main city? Duluth, Minnesota. Well, I'm not sure. uh, (laughs) Speaking of, what's what's your largest city in Minnesota? Uh, well, Minneapolis-St. Paul, the Twin yeah. Cities. Is that is that close to you? Two hours. Oh, that's a long way. Okay, well, I was going to say most big cities in the United States have women-only investment groups. Mm. Women investing yeah. money. You know who the biggest investors in the country are having the sitting on the greatest amount of cash are women. Not that they earned it themselves. Most of them did not, but they outlive their husbands and get it in the end. Very successful guys that get the cash in the end. A lot of those women invest in women-led businesses and only hear pitches from women that own businesses, new or startups that haven't even started yet. So chances are in the Twin Cities, there, there is a group there. I'd be surprised if there wasn't. Now, in your city, perhaps not, I don't know, but it's so easy to check out, right? Joining a group like that is an advantage because a long line of women come and pitch. It's organized for you. And all you have to do is be a shark, listen, decide, make your deal. Okay. If that's not the case, close enough or convenient enough for you, I think you should start one. Trust me, there are a lot of women in your area that would love that opportunity. You're not the only lone person thinking right now in your town, boy, wouldn't it be great if I could invest in women-led businesses? Somebody else is, and probably six are. So why wouldn't you start a consortium to have a pitch day every Tuesday from 12 to six, we'll listen to any pitch for, as long as a women majority shared business. That's it. Yeah. I think that's the easiest way to get started. If you want to be more aggressive, you could call my boss at Shark Tank and tell him <laughs> that you want my seat. And then you'll see, you'll see like 80 pitches in uh, in a week's time at least. And really, have I was a lot always wondering from. how long are your days on that show? From the minute you start putting on your false eyelashes in the morning and trying to make yourself look younger than you are till the time you leave the set, they're basically 12, 14 hour days, depending upon the day, long, tedious days, but never boring. And that's what keeps us alive and awake. Never boring. Now, I have a question for you. And feel free to not answer it if you don't want to. But what is something that has surprised you? I mean, I know a lot of times when we start our companies, money is our motivation. But mm. I mean, you have a billion dollar company at this point. What gets you out of bed? What motivates you these days? Well, you know, I've never met a hugely successful person in business, and I really mean this, whose goal was to make money. It kind of became a side benefit. And most of us are all surprised by making money. You know, I never thought of myself as a moneymaker because I just didn't aspire for that. What I wanted or I hoped for was a big, happy family at work. And I got it. And by doing everything in my power to create happiness within the firm with the right people, and really do a great job servicing the public and selling real estate, I wound up making a load of money. It was a surprise to me. I think I probably worked once I started when, you know, once my boyfriend left with my secretary, now wife, all these years later. So they were meant to be together. When that happened, I think, I don't think I turned a profit for probably seven years. I, I wondered if I could take a paycheck out many weeks I went without it. And then suddenly one year happened, next year happened, I was making three, four million dollars a year. How did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. It was an accident. I wasn't growing fast enough. I wasn't spending the money quick enough at new enterprises, which is what I thought I was doing really aggressively until I wound up with surplus. Like, how did that happen? Yeah. What do you do with that money? I didn't know what to do with the money. I didn't value it, you know? And so eventually I just sold the business and cashed out of that. Okay. But you're talking about motivation. I'll tell you what I find is the common ground of everyone that makes a load of, oh, I shouldn't curse. I keep promising my mother, but she's not around anymore. But I still feel like she's telling me every Christmas, remember, Barbara, stop cursing. All right. So before I made a ton of money, which is how my mother would put it, I really aspired to one thing. 
making my children happy, not only my kids at, at home, which I didn't start till I was 46, but the kids at work, I did everything. I would kill for them. They were my young, you know, make them as happy as I could be. That was my goal. That's I never aspired to more than that. I did aspire to be the queen of New York real estate from day one. I saw myself as the queen of New York real yeah. estate, like the Pope, everybody kissing my ring with white gowns on. I was <laughs> kind of, but guess what? Now I look back and I go, that's a business plan. You know, yeah. uh, not the kind that you usually used to, but a visualization of yourself in the future is a great business plan to keep you on the straight and narrow. So my belief is if I could actually get to the point is that everyone who makes a lot of money in business never expected to. Maybe they thought, oh, wouldn't that be nice? But it's not what they aspired to. They aspired to doing a good job at whatever they defined as the good job that had to be done. And if you can focus on that and pour yourself into doing a great job, you have to make money. You're in business. It just works that way. You have to make money. It just happens. So I, I don't want to make it like a magic kind of thing. I don't mean that. I mean, the hard work makes it happen. But the aspiration to doing your job well is what spells success in any field. I really believe that. I just want to affirm you right now because the way you're showing up and the way that you do show up, even on Shark Tank, it is so evident that you genuinely care. And mm, all of your answers that you're giving today, it just, you're just driving home what I always wanted to believe about you. You know, when you see people and you're like, are they really, are they really like that? And I have some background sources that confirm that you really do care. I just want to affirm you right now that when you show up that way, the way that you listen, the way that you give people a chance to speak, the way that you give people the benefit of the doubt, it's very evident. And I so attribute so much of your success to those beautiful gifts that you have. Well, Jenna, thank you for that. But I have to also confess, not that I'm not taking credit for that, <laughs> that all I am is a warmed up version of my mother. She's probably mm -hmm. in my hometown with the biggest family in the tiniest little apartment, probably the most loved woman in my hometown. And you know why? She always had room at her little table with 10 kids jammed in. She always had room for whoever we brought home who had no place to go. Yeah. She was just so kind and generous. She was like a Mother Teresa in modern day life, you know? And so I had no choice but to really care. And now I'm going to tell you the business angle of really caring, it works. If yeah. you don't fake it, you really, really care. That means you're doing a good job. You're pouring yourself into something. And the real benefit to that, whether the business succeeds or not, because I've poured myself into a lot of businesses that have not succeeded and they yeah. break my heart, you know? But what you really get out of caring is you get satisfaction. Think yeah. about anything in your entire life. What gives you the greatest satisfaction? The things you care most about, your kids. I mean, how do you compare business or any, for me anyway, how do you compare anything to the satisfaction you get out of loving a child? So anything you could pour your heart into always gives you the best feedback in terms of satisfaction. And so why wouldn't you care? I mean, it's like being in the parade and missing out on the main event. Caring is where you get all the good stuff. Yeah. Well, you're a wonderful example of that. One final question. Actually, I have two, but this is the first one. A lot of women are probably listening to this and they hear that you have a billion dollar business, but they're just trying to make their next thousand dollars. Mm. What advice would you have for someone who's just starting out? I would say all the rah-rah talk in the world won't work because it's such an individual quest to start out anything, you know? Uh, two things come to my mind. I probably should have given this more thought. Number one, you don't have to get it right. You have to get it going. I've seen more people sit at the starting gate trying to get everything right. You know, opportunity and emotion is like fleeting. It's like a bird flying by. You got to grab it, tack it down before it goes away. So I believe the moment you are inspired to do something in anything, but it applies to business as well, starting a business, the minute you aspire to it, you got to get it out there. You got to get yourself out there as fast as you can. You know why? All the business planning in the world won't be accurate or not even half accurate. It's only being out in the street, being out in the traffic that you find out what you really need to do. So you're cheating yourself out of the opportunity to actually learn anything and have a success because you're planning it from the inside, looking out through the window. It just doesn't happen that way. You got to get out there. Okay. That's one. The other thing I would say, I think you have to sit down and be honest with yourself. I think it's a great place to start honesty. I think you have to sit down with a big ass legal pad, put a line down the middle and put on the left side what you love and what you're good at. And put on the right side what you don't like and what you're not good at. And a lot of people don't know what they're not good at. They just don't know. But they sure know what they don't like. 
And those are always the things you're not good at. So once you have that long list of what you don't like, which when I do it, and I do it every like probably four, every six, sometimes eight months go by without my doing it. When I put it down, it crystallizes what I do well. And from the beginning of time, no matter what I've learned in business, I still only do two things well. <laughs> I market well and I talk well. I don't yeah. write well. I don't know accounting. I don't know legal. I can't do a personal manual and I recruit yeah. well. So my yeah. list of what I do well is really narrow, but it reminds me that that's what every business and every venture, even a party I give, everything I do should focus on what I do well. Because the happiest people in the world are people who have built an extension of themselves around their gifts, not trying to be good at this or believing theoretically, I better really know legal or patents or no, no, start with what you do well. You'll find all the talent out there to do all the shit you don't do well that you don't want to do anyway. As you go along, you know, you'll find those people and they'll find you. But you need to get out fast and you need to focus on something that you love and you think you can do well. And it doesn't have to be, I want to be in the, uh, well, give me any idea, um, camera business because I love cameras. No, I don't even mean that. It's got to be your talent pool. I really like to talk to people. You know, that's a good talent. That means you'd be good at sales. I really like, I love to persuade people. That means you can get them to invest in your business. There's so many versions that you can apply to one gift that you do well. And that's all I do all my life. And you know what? That's what I do for my entrepreneurs. I sit down and I try to think, what's their gift? That's the code I'm cracking. Not on the set of Shark Tank, but afterwards, what's their gift? Because that's what I'm going to build on. You can bet on it because that's your best chance of success. I love that. And I think, too, when you see somebody that's fully alive and like living in their genius zone, it's it's inspiring to do the same. You know, it's like encouragement that we can all do that. And we all do a better job when we are in those genius zones, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. But Jenna, I'd have to ask you, you've been doing your podcast for how many years so far? Three years, 300 episodes. Okay. When I'm hearing the way you ask a question, I mean, come clean for your audience, please. <laughs> but when I'm hearing you ask a question and roll this way, and I feel so listened to what you have a way of listening even when you're quiet I feel you're really listening to me that pumps me up I gotta ask you how long how long did it take you to get good at that I was probably terrible. people think it's a natural you just breathe got on this <laughs> one day and you know everything but my god people underestimate how much work is involved in getting good at something really good at yeah. something didn't you work hard at that? Oh, so hard. I was a terrible, terrible interviewer for years. Mm. And it, it's so funny because when you look at the roles that you and I are both in today, nobody trained us to do these. Like we didn't go to college to learn how to interview people. And I really have just learned how to honor people's time because time is our mm -hmm. currency, right? Mm -hmm. And so having you on my show is such an honor. And to be able to give you even a small platform to share your story, oh my gosh, like I am the luckiest. So just <laughs> I'm sitting in a closet right now. Let me paint the scene. I'm sitting in an actual closet. Mm -hmm. My computer's propped up on a stroller box from my child. <laughs> and and I get the pleasure of speaking with you. And I think too, one of the- but what a gift, you know, it's just such a gift. Thank you for that. Thank you. That so sweet. So my final question is this, Barbara, what are you most proud of? Well, I'm not going to answer it the way every mom does my kids because that's obvious, is it? <laughs> obvious. I think uh, uh, by spades, my kids. Okay, so far I don't, you know, I have two nice kids. That's all I hope for and they're healthy. <laughs> that's what every mom hopes for. I guess I'm most proud of different things all the time, but it comes down to the same thing. I'm most proud of people that I work with, whether it be, you know, the kids I have in my office, what they can accomplish that shock me, you know, not shock me. I kind of expected, but still shock me. My entrepreneurs, how far they can go, what they're capable of. I think I'm always most proud of discovering how amazing people could be. And I shouldn't be proud of that because that's not my doing, that's theirs. But I feel that I'm part of it. So I feel proud, like, hey, yes. yeah, I'm, one of, I'm with them, you know, like a show up <laughs> kind of girl. I'm with them, you know, I really, I'm a, I have a relationship here. <laughs> I'm yeah. important to them, you know. That's where I get my jollies and that's where I get my great pride. And that has never changed, ever changed. 
Yeah. I love it. That's amazing. And it's so evident. It's just so evident that you are like the best hype girl out there. Like if you could, if anyone could have Barbara in their corner, man, if they're not a success, then they're doing something wrong. Oh, no, you you write off something, a piece of me that you don't know about. I'm a savage when someone doesn't have talent. I My favorite day of the week, my entire life is Friday. That's always when I fire people. No, if, if somebody has the wrong attitude, ain't going to put in the work, just aren't going to be exceptional about what they do. I have no qualms. I can't wait to get rid of them. I'm a son of a bitch. So don't think I'm a little Pollyanna. Oh, I love you. Love you. No, I only love the people that deserve the love, you know, that put it out for themselves. Yeah. Yes. Oh, well, what is exciting you? Where can we all connect with you? You have your amazing podcast. You're on the show. Your social media is beautiful. Give us all the places that we can find you. Well, of course, wherever you listen to podcasts, you could find me. It's called Business Unusual. And that is pure business advice, mostly for entrepreneurs, because that's who comes in and asks for advice. Okay. I do the usual interviewing of stellar stars that I think have something to teach. So that's called Business Unusual. But in about two weeks time, I have a new podcast called 888 Barbara. And all it is is pure advice. And I have hundreds of calls that come in already every day on that because I post it online. So people bring in their calls. The calls are amazing. They range anything from the most stupid stuff. Like when I was listening to this morning, how do you really set a nice table? Well, I hate to admit it, but I set the best <laughs> tables in town. And I'm very happy to give that advice. As ridiculous as it is. Color combinations, how to buy cheap flowers, how to get the most of them. I could go on for hours because it's a hobby of mine. Okay. But, mm-hmm. it's, but most of them are really bad. How do I build my confidence? How do I get rid of the mm-hmm. clunker boyfriend that I can't seem to addict myself to, if there's such a word, uh, how do I get my kid out of the house that stayed too long, to how do I ask for a raise? Yeah. I'm just trying to think through what's con- what I was listening to this morning. Breakups. Breakups are a big thing. Uh, <laughs> and also, most importantly, how do I give life meaning? I mean, I talk to a lot of great people that are in bad spots in their life, and I love those questions because there's always another 50 people out there listening that have the same question. They're just not asking it of me. So 888 Barbara, I'm most excited about. Not to write off business unusual, but I feel like it goes left, right, and in between. And I really like that because I hear I hear about everything, you know, and I think I'm a genius at all advice. Let's be real. <laughs> and uh, if I don't have the answer, I'll make you. this up just so <laughs> I can keep talking. <laughs> oh, Barbara, what a treat. Thank you okay. so much. I, I was just so excited to get a chance to talk to you. And you are just inspiring women entrepreneurs all over the world. So thank you for being you. Jenna, thank you for being such a good listener. You're really terrific at it. I've talked to a lot of incredible women on this show, but oh, Barbara, I just, I am obsessed with her. She is the perfect level of sass and spunk and fun and fearlessness. And the way that she shows up in the world with both her femininity, but also her power, it's just so inspiring to me. Oh. I love her. I love her. I love her. I hope that you enjoyed today's show as much as I did. If you want to head on over to Gold Digger Podcast on Instagram, let us know what your favorite takeaway was from today's episode. I think I have like a million of them. And I am just so thankful that you get to tune in to interviews just like this. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. Until next time, keep on digging your biggest goals. Thanks for listening to the Gold Digger Podcast. Dive into the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. The more the merrier. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, you gold digger you.